0: easily give in but sometimes you know the tempts of the world do want to draw us down but praise God when we hold to our faith God is faithful to strengthen us and that being said we'll move on to the word and the bible says in hebrews chapter 4, uh, four verse 12 through 16 now we heard some of this on the day uh, that we had a Thursday service and the word says For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto his eyes of him whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, that is passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast, fast our profession. And verse 15, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we, we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Praise God. If you would bow your heads down and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We want to give reverence to your word, but also, Lord, we know that the word came from you. Lord, we want that your word, Lord God, it comes into our hearts, Lord God. And we learn, Lord Jesus, that through your word, we will learn to surrender of things that we have not yet surrendered, Lord. We want to have, Lord God, authority on this land because, Lord, by your spirit, Lord, and by your stripes, Lord God, we were healed. Lord God, lead everybody, Lord God, everybody that has heard your word, everybody that has read your word, Lord God, to that that spring, Lord, that water, God, God, that belongs to you. And we thank you, Lord God. For all that you do for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And everybody said, Amen. Praise God. Praise the Lord. That you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Praise God. Amen. Thank you, musicians. I have recognized and I have learned in my walk with God that the peace of God has more authority and power when you are in the spirit. Thank you. And in the right spirit. The only right spirit is a kind spirit. Now, God's spirit is a holy spirit. Not that God's spirit does not bring kindness. It does, but so can man bring kindness at times. But what happens when even people who walk not in the ways of the Lord or of God have been at times kinder, uh, or I said kind, but kinder than us professing Christians? I have heard at times in, con- in conferences and other preachings that the preacher felt compelled to apologize for someone professing to be a Christian who had in fact been rude to that person he was ministering to because he was trying to win them to the Lord. And I believe that can be complicated at times because I think some of us have come across those situations at times. His words were not to hurt them or to those he was speaking. It was to bring them of an awareness of what was happening to the people that they were surrounded by. It was caused by the actions that they did, and sometimes maybe not intentional, but we know that the world does at times tempt us to cause us to fall and stumble every now and then. But even so, it, rather, it is rather to explain, for him it was, unless it said clearly to whom he was referring to. And in this case, he was speaking, as I said, to profession Christians. Usually, in most cases, a private setting usually works best if it's a one-on-one. But in this particular case, it was something very, very much what Jesus was doing when he was preaching the gospel. See, when the apostles were out there looking for the, uh, the 12th apostle, the Bible says that they drew, uh, they drew uh, I should say sticks, but they, basically they were uh, drawing straws, I should say, to, to choose the last apostle because we know that Judas Iscariot was no longer alive or no longer with them. But because he was talking to everyone, as Jesus spoke to them, as he spoke to them in large groups, he didn't point everybody out. He didn't point anybody out. What he did instead, he spoke openly to everybody, and then he said, "He's he, well." I, I should say every time he said, <laughs> "He said, you know, if you hearken to my voice, if you hear the things that I say, then you know it is good, and, it, it, and it's and it's a good thing to hear what Jesus had to say." In most cases, we will most likely choose a you know, a status as, as saying that, you know, what I heard is not really what I feel, or there's no conviction that comes from that. But the fact of the matter is when there is no conviction there, there I mentioned before, there sometimes is a problem. In most cases, and I said earlier, uh, likely uh, to choose a conviction status, we create it because it feels right to us. But with God, the word is what we need to compare ourselves to. God's word is the reflection of what we should be as far as his word. In other words, it's a mirror unto us. And we should be able to see the same thing that we see on God's word upon us. And if we're honest with, our, with ourselves, we'll, we will find that this preacher who I'm mentioning, I uh, didn't mention him by name for a reason. He didn't say it because it was personal. He said it because he loves us, and, and not only us, but them as well. He was trying to guide them and us, as, we, as some would say, away from the fire. As a professing uh, follower of Jesus, we are to love our neighbors. I will not go in, into depth into mentioning uh, what their neighbors are. But for the sake of time, let me just tell you, it is anyone that you come across. Anyone that you come across. It doesn't matter if you know them or not. And I think we spoke about the Samaritan some time ago and about the, the word coincidence and what it means. But I'm going to bring you to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And the word says, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And one of the things that it does, it discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. And that's a pretty, pretty strong statement because if you start to picture the, the double-edged sword, and I had to do a little research on it just because I was really curious. Not that I have one, but... Um, it wouldn't hurt to have one, just to kind of look at it and discover, you know, the uh, the benefits of it and how it actually functions. But the double-edged sword—it has two sharp ends—and most of you will, might have one. I don't know, but the point of it, when you the, the this this particular device was was designed that wherever it went, it was very precise, and where it was going to hit, there was it would not veer. If it went you went straight, it would literally go to the point of intention of uh, and I should say. Um, Puncturing. I'll leave it at that. But you, if you take another type of sword, for instance, you're going to find that uh, the sword has a, a, a heavier side, a thicker side. And, of course, you have the, the sharp end. And not that it doesn't cut straight, but it definitely is going to angle itself in a different direction versus a double-edged sword. So I know that when we read the scripture, and, and Paul's talking about a double-edged sword, sword. It's going to give us an idea that this thing was very precise in what it does, and that is exactly what God's word does. It's very precise. As for it being a discerner, there was am going there was a man, uh, a German man by the name of Karl Plag. Uh, he was recognized and he was honored by the Yad Vashem in 2005 as one of the religious, uh, uh, religious. Oh, I'm sorry, righteous among. The nations. This is given and remembered by the Israeli people, honoring a Gentile for helping the Jewish people in the time of need. Carl Plage was a soldier who stood up for the Jewish people in the time of the Holocaust. He's not well known because the story of his rescue was uncovered uh, by a son of a survivor who was at the HKP 562 uh, in the year 2000. Not that he was in there at that year, but that's when it was discovered. But nor did Carl acknowledge himself as anyone to be remembered. So this man who was a German, he personally was had witnessed these deaths in many of many Jews. Uh, he more than likely was there for uh, many of the executions. And with that being said, you can pretty much figure that someone who sees this much death, there's going to be something that happens to this individual. Not that there wasn't something wrong with him before, because we find out, that as he started to, as he is called to this place, it says it, that he went beyond what he was taught that was possible uh, as his capabilities because of what he had experienced. In other words, he pushed himself to the, ex- to the extent and to the point that he says, I don't know if I can go this far, but for some reason I need to keep going. And that's what he did. And what he did, he saved Jewish families. And it wasn't intentional as to save them, he was just first of all trying to protect them. And he, fi- he figured if he could protect them, then perhaps there would be no, no casualties. Unfortunately, the fact of the matter is that we know what the Holocaust is all about. And I'm going to fill in just a little bit more of his background here because he was an engineer. He was partially disabled. He was a veteran of World War One, And this is after he was he was he had been dismissed uh, out of his position. The position that he had been dismissed was of a lecturer. Uh, he was to lecture others of being unwilling to teach racism. So he didn't teach that for that matter. And his opportunity for Nazi racist policies. So he was pretty much all up against whatever it was that was happening at that time. And then somehow he ends up in a camp with a bunch of Jewish people having the position to lead a camp. He's got all these people within his possession. He knows something, is, uh, something doesn't feel right within them. And so he starts to do something. He starts, He first he starts with the high, high-end people who are there in the German, of German officials. And he starts to uh, speak to them. And he starts to say, hey, you know what? The people that I'm going to have in my place working for me, I want them to be Jews. But not only do they want them to be Jews, because that's all they really had at that point. Not that he wanted Germans. Germans obviously were in abundance there as well. But he wanted Jews because he knew that they were being tormented and they were going through hard times. He said, but not only do I want their, the parents, the dads, I want the mothers, and I want them with their children. Because when you put them all together, they can function much easier that way. They're more productive. So he got into, you know, he kind of got into their, uh, into their minds. And it, was, it made perfect sense for the Germans to say, you know what, fine, we'll give you all that. And it worked out for just a short period of time, not too long. But he, what he began to do and how he built his defense, he began to issue these uh, these documents. These documents were basically based on something that was going to, one, give them an upper hand versus if they came across another Jew and he didn't have documentation, that person would be sentenced to death. But if they had this documentation, it means that they were valuable to the Germans at that point in time. So uh, providing these documents for them and just to say, not all these documents were—I uh, should say—I'm going to say they weren't truthful. And but that's what he did. That's one of the extents that he went as far as to defend these people. There was no—there uh, was no proof that these none of these people could do what they said he could—that what he said they could do. He said that the men could were mechanics. Now, when they got the documents, they weren't mechanics. But within the time frame they were there, they began to learn and they learned how to be mechanics. Then it came to the time where the women were going to be taken away. And when they were going to get taken away, he he quickly came in and brought sewing machines for the ladies that way. Hey, you know what? Don't get rid of these. I need these as well because they're going to make clothes for us and so forth. So, again, convincingly uh, with his words of enticement, he was able to carry that out. And, of course, the children also, the, the more older children were the ones able to help. The younger ones obviously stayed home. But the documents themselves was the important part here. It carried some weight. And it worked, as I said, for some time. But then it came to a time with, when Carl uh, decided to go visit his family. Because things were going so well. And they seemed to have no pressure. At least he did. Now the people, the Jews obviously had pressure upon them. But he didn't feel that pressure. So during his leave, he regret- it was one of his, his worst regrets. He would wished he had not left. Two hundred children were taken, and they were never seen again from the camp he was protecting. By the time he returned, it was turmoil. The wives were crying, and the uh, the fathers, of course, were trying to comfort them, and more than likely also weeping with them. It was he was pretty much distraught. In doing so, he also found uh, other things that were not happening. Obviously. If you have people that are crying and weeping, they're not going to want to go to work. You've got an entire, uh, and I'm going to say an entire camp that was very productive, and all of a sudden, it's no longer productive. So his words carried weight. There was something that uh, I mentioned earlier that he used words of enticement to convince them. But even so, he was right in what he said, and he did, because it proved to the Germans that what he had said was right. Not that it made a difference, because they didn't care about that. They're, by the time they started to do these things, they began to do uh, destruction to the rest of the camps. And eventually, uh, the, uh, one of the final attempts before he was uh, sent off, because it was no longer, nothing's happening anymore, he went, he wanted to help the Jewish people one last time, because he was being dismissed. He stood in the place where they all heard him speak. So he went to the camp and he stood there. He was telling them that he was leaving now. And in some cold word, he said to them that the USSR would be taking care of them because they were valuable. And then they were in charge of carrying all refugees to their new camp where they would be protected, he said. And then he said, a survivor said that Carl said, don't worry, but they will be here in three days it was a code word. Code word, you have three days to think about what you're going to do, hide or run. He was distraught from the children that had been taken from the camp. Further from that, he, he, you know, he was continued from that location. Someone said he had lost his faith in God, so obviously he was a believer because of what he had witnessed and he had done to the, and what he saw the Germans do to the, and it was, he, obviously he was part of it. He just wasn't able to hold his wits at that point. It is believed that there were around 1,000 people that he occupied. Only 150 to 200 Jewish people survived, women, children, and some of the men. Though, though charges were brought against him for his involvement, someone came forward for him and spoke on his behalf, and he was acquitted. Though forgotten for a time, a small memory of a mention sparked a truth. It was enough to allow the memory of someone to speak up about a man who thought of himself as a failure to save the Jewish people. But the word says that in weakness, we are made strong. We are made strong. I had wished that this story ended well. I don't know if Carl ever found salvation for sure. I don't know if someone spoke to him about God anymore. I hope that he would have had you know, renewed his faith in God. I would, I would think that he did. If anyone deserved it for sure, I would have think it would have been him. But then again, we are not the judges of what people do. We let God do the judgment because the Bible does say that vengeance is mine. One thing is for sure, something was written in his heart during the war. But what happened after the war, what happened? It was something so vicious that he was traumatized. He probably blamed himself, as I mentioned earlier. But why would he do that? Because it was not in his heart to do that what was wrong, and what he saw broke him. Hopefully it was before he died that he gave gave himself an opportunity to, to forgive himself. Not that he did anything wrong to forgive himself for not forgiving himself. In this case, it sounds kind of redundant, but it's true. At times we have to find the time to forgive ourselves for things that we have done wrong. But it was therefore according to the record as of now that we don't know whether he ever gave his life to God. You see, Psalm seven four, the Bible says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. In other words, this person, if, if, if Carl would have known a little bit more about the Word, sh- somebody should have gone to him. Perhaps he wouldn't have passed his years as maybe in a, you know, sad state. I would hope that he didn't. But again, we don't know because there's really no record of it yet. The Word of God will save you by converting you. When you have done all that you can do within your power, be glad. Joy over the few victories because they count. Why do they count? And in verse 9, it says, they count because the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The fear is the one that is within you. And it says, God, how do I do this? I can't do this by myself. And when do you do that? The Bible says that the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So seeking God's voice and seeking God's mind will give us what we need in times of turmoil and trial. Moving on to 10, verse 10. More is more to be desired, they, than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycombs. Moreover, by them is, my, is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. The question is, what is it that we're, we're having to keep? And it says, keeping gives us great reward. The laws, the fear of God, or of the Lord, as, as the Bible says, and his judgment. Who can understand his heirs? This is verse 12, cleanse thou me from secret faults. Secret faults, what are secret faults? Things that that you know about that you may not know about that somebody may know about. Again, there's a little bit of a mind twister there. Things that you may not remember and people may hold you accountable. But when you ask the Lord and you go before his throne of glory, God will say, I'm going to take care of this for you. Don't you worry about it. There's a blood that has covered you. Praise God. When God's word is in your heart, it will manifest things to you about other people. It will tell you of someone, if someone really is a true Christian, Christ's father, I should say. Uh, or maybe not uh, in a way. But, but over time, uh, it's, it will be pretty obvious whether he is or isn't. Or she is or she isn't. But that only tells you that it is our job to help them come along. Now, if they don't want to, then you try and you try again. You've heard the saying say, well, you can, you can uh, drag, uh, take a horse, I should say drag a horse to water, take a horse, lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink, right? Praise the Lord. Now, now, the question is, do we stop if they don't come? No. That's only a saying. It doesn't mean that it holds water. The saying to, that the Lord tells us is not to give up, to hold strong to the faith, to bring those that are lost. And so in that saying, I will say this, bring him some water and bring him some more, some more water and keep bringing him to the water. Eventually he's going to drink. Praise the Lord. Keep the Lord. Verse 13, keep back thy servant also from presumption of sins. Let them not have dominion. Over me, then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Keep me, Lord. This is kind of a prayer from doing wrong and showing little respect for those by doing things I have no right to do. I have no right to terrorize people or nobody's kids, and I'm just saying that. Okay, no right whatsoever. The same thing applies to new converts, they are babes in the Lord. Instead, here is what we should be doing verse 14 Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight O Lord my strength and my redeemer We could do better if we tried when we are not doing so well So if we're not doing so well we push to do better Jeremiah 17 verse 7 through 10 Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and those who and whose hope the Lord is for we shall be a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see uh, when the heat cometh. And so the heat cometh, meaning that the fearful or bothered by it, but her leaf shall give green, shall be green, and shall not be careful or, an- or It says careful, but the word is what it means is anxious in the year of drought. Neither shall cease from yielding fruit. So, in our trust in the Lord, if we don't let fear overtake us or bother us, and we don't get anxious when things are dry, then we're going to yield fruit no matter what. Our distresses cause us to to react in certain ways that are abnormal, trying to make us at times cling on to the abnormal. But I'll tell you right now instead of doing that, don't cling on to the abnormal. Trust in the Lord, and he will lead your ways. The Lord says to others, all is well, and so should we as well. All is well. Verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruits of his doing. Let us find ourselves again, I say, doing what is good in the sight of God. Hebrews chapter four, verse 13 through sixteen. bring you back to this one. In this scripture it tells us and um, it, it tells us that that God that a God that our God, nothing that we have done, is hid from him. Everything is in its' open. it's open to him. No, I mean we can try to conceal things, but it, it, everything is exposed to him. He is a God that knows everything and sees everything. But then in, in verse 14, Paul tells us of Jesus and that we should be who we say we are because of who he is. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Then in verse 15, he knows what you deal with because he had to overcome sin when he was tempted. Verse 15, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet with sin. And I'd like to share something with you uh, that I recently uh, was talked about. And it was very interesting because I never had looked at it that way. We know the scripture said that Jesus was led by the Spirit out into the wilderness and uh, to, you know, to try the flesh and for fasting. But I believe it was something else that was, he went out there to do. I believe that he went out there to face Satan. And the reason I say that is because if he went out there just to fast and not uh, face Satan, then there would be no reason for him to overcome the flesh. He knew that Satan was going to be out there, and he went looking for him. Now, Satan knew he was there as well, but he didn't come around until he was at his most weakest point. But the scriptures tell us that when, again, he's at his weakest, he is at his most strongest. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God's word is a blessing to us. It is to shed some light at the end of the tunnel. Some of us might say, well, what end of the tunnel are you talking about? I like to look at the scriptures as a form of instruction and direction. I've, liked, I've enjoyed just thinking about the Lord as because every, the Bible says that nothing can come to the Lord un, or nothing can get in until, unless we come to Jesus Christ. And in doing so, I always picture a funnel that goes straight into him. You might try to go to the left. You might try to go to the right side, but you got to go through him. You're not going to make it unless you go through him. In the same sense... Uh, The reason that is, is because he loved us before we loved him. And if he loved us before we loved him, then he wants us to come to him. But not only does he want us to come to him, we know that going through him saves us. It is his blood that was sacrificed on Calvary. It was his resurrection that gives us life. And more importantly, he is the one that created the heavens and the earth. Due to the effects of sin... The human heart is flawed; it has been tarnished by the in, the inherited corruption of um, Adam's sin. Not on bringing Adam into this, not this Adam though he can stay right where he's at. So, and it says this so damaged it is that the scriptures offer this scathing description: the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17:9. In the days of Noah, the condition of the hearts of men. Prompted God's fierce judgment to be unleashed in the flood. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. If we begin to put God's word in our heart, there is going to be a transformation that takes place. It is a natural thing that happens when you put something good into you, something else has to come out. I have literally prayed at times, they said, Lord, there are some things that I I had hoped I had never learned. And if you can replace that with something good, I would be really grateful. And I believe that he has because there are some things that I try to remember and I can no longer remember. And I believe that's God using his spirit when we ask for something to erase parts of our lives. It is a good thing. It is not a bad thing. So if you find yourself losing your mind, don't worry about it. It could be a good thing, okay? (laughs) There are some things that you don't want to remember. Trust me when I tell you that. An inherently clean heart has been passed down through the human lineage, and it has become the source of all evils committed in history. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 19 through 20, "For out of the heart proceed the evil thoughts: murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are all the things which defile a man. To free us from bondage to, to, the, in, uh, to the corrupt heart, God has promised that through wor- the work of salvation, He would give us a select treasure. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. We have to protect that new heart of flesh. This new heart of flesh is fashioned in by the Word of God. So its nature is one in righteousness and in its purity. transiting, Transiting this world to reach the next present profound challenges in keeping our new hearts clean and untainted. We are called to be ever diligent about what we allow to affect it. For surely corrupt influences abound in this world. If we give the unclean elements of this world access to our new hearts That treasure will soon be soiled. Instead, we are charged with allowing the word of God to provide both ongoing protection and spiritual cleansing. Praise the Lord. Amen. There is no greater resource for keeping our hearts right throughout life and then continue intimate relationship with God's word. It maintains our new hearts. God's word, it gives a moral pattern to live by. It saves our soul, and the testimony is of the Lord, and it is sure, the Bible says. Making wise is simple, is what the Bible reads. The double-edged sword is to be direct, as I mentioned earlier. It is to bring a separation by the things that we at times love and like. But the only way to decipher what they are or discern what they are is by the Word of God. There has to be a comparison. It's not from person to person. It's from you to God's word. And it is by God's spirit that we're able to determine whether something is good or something is bad. God's word is described by Paul, as I mentioned, as a double-edged sword. And the, the more I think about it, it speaks of two things. It's, I said the soul and the spirit, but also the joints and the marrow. The more I think about it, because again, I, I, you know, I, I look into this. These kind of things. And, and, I, and I wonder, well, what's so important about joint and marrow? And obviously the joint is connected to the, it's a, it's a piece of bone. It's all, it's all one bone. But if you cut the top of the bone, you're going to get to the marrow. So this is, this God's word is precise to where it starts to divide those things that we see as impossible, possible by the living God. For the word of God is alive. It is powerful. It will also check you it will also strengthen you it will deliver you it will put you in a place where you need not to worry anymore and if you say i will trust the lord then he will also defend you doing the things of god god will uplift you things to watch out for things that are not of god things that will tear us down things things that will make us feel like we are not worthy to return to his throne and ask him for forgiveness that is the mind that is not of christ that is a mind of antichrist instead say god is a redeemer god is a forgiver and he is my savior and the bible says to come boldly before the throne of grace that doesn't mean i'm just going to come through it means god is my savior god is my Deliverer, and i will stand because my god loves me praise the lord Earlier I spoke of Adam and Eve, and I'm kind of closing with this here. Adam and Eve, they were an example for us to, to learn from. They were holy, or at least for a time, I should say. The book of Genesis tells us of the event of Adam and Eve falling short of God's desires and commands due to the serpent's deceptive strategy. So don't feel bad if you fall today. Know that it happened many years ago, and it still happens today. And let also let me remind you that it is not all the time that we allow these things to overtake us. But the Bible says that we are fighting against principalities and powers of this world. They have been here. Remember, Adam and Eve were holy, meaning that there was, no, there was nothing in them. It was until they fell that this, all these things happened. So in, that, in saying that, know that as Adam and Eve stood, as Adam and Eve did not get killed, God didn't destroy them. He gave them an opportunity to live. And he said to them, "Go and multiply the earth." He didn't stop that from happening. What he did do, he did annul a few things. He did remove the tree of life. He did say, "You're going to go have to, Adam. You're going to go have to work and hurt your hands for just a little bit." And of course, women, we know that birth giving is not uh, is not comfortable. Yeah, and that's saying <laughs> the, Genesis chapter three sixteen. But it says, unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And in doing so, we understand that God is a God of order. Not that he would strip the woman down and say, you are nothing. But we also know that by God's grace, God has done something. When we, I spoke about the laws about two three weeks ago, and I said that the laws uh, are, are fulfilled by love. And one of the ways to fulfill that, one of the laws of love is one is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy mind, and thy soul, and strength. And the second one is to love thy neighbor as thyself. So your first neighbor that you have to love has to be your wife if you have a wife. Wives, it has to be your husband if it is your husband. Amen. And the reason that is, is because when you fall, he's going to lift you up. If she falls, I'm going to lift her up. In doing so, let's strengthen one another. Let's worship the Lord and let's give him praise. But also let's put God's word in our hearts that when God's word is in our heart, there are things that are going to happen to us. We are going to recognize things that are going to come against us and we know how to combat them. And if say, you know, that is not of God. I am not going in that direction i'm not going to accept that because that is not of god god's word again i said is a double-edged sword it is going to show you what is truth it is going to discern everything that the world is going to throw at you and it's going to say you're wrong no there are some standards that god has given me and he has put them right in my heart and i want to keep them there and i want to save them there because one day my god is going to come back there is someone who i have to please and his name is jesus praise the lord if you would stand to your feet and you'd, we could worship the Lord today. There's a song that, uh, I'm not going to sing it. You guys go ahead. It is about the king. It's about putting his word in your heart. And we cry out to him and, and God answers that. And in doing so, we know that when he answers and he brings peace, because that's what he is. He's the peacemaker. He brings peace to your presence when you feel torment, when you feel distressed. God says, don't you worry about that. Remember, I told you, if you trust in me, you'll be like the tree planted by the water. I'm going to give you strength, and I'm going to lift you up. You don't have to worry. I am God, says the Lord. Praise the Lord. If you guys would sing with us, worshiping the Lord. Lord, come to us, Lord God, today
1: into our hearts. Changes for the better,
0: Lord Jesus.